stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to the online Brave Maker experience. My name is Tony Gapastone. I get to be the executive director of Brave Maker. We're headquartered in Redwood City, California, the San Francisco Bay Area. Hey, hey, Tony. I'm Christina Jackson. Thank you for having me. And today we're really looking forward to this conversation. If you're just joining us live, you just saw the trailer to a documentary that is available for free on YouTube. Has almost, I think, over 7 million views at this time. Uh, Christina and I just both viewed it this morning, and we're really looking forward to the conversation with the writer, director, and editor, producer, and featured, uh, featured person in the film. Justin Robinson. Welcome, Justin Robinson. Thank Welcome, you, Justin. Thank you. Yeah, what uh, a moving film. We are all about brave stories and the transparency and vulnerability that you shared here in this film was super touching. Let's just jump, jump right in. I mean, this is obviously a personal story about your brother, uh, losing your brother, losing a loved one, grief, and the raw emotions that come from that. Did you recognize, like, as a filmmaker, like that this was kind of like your, um, like your magnum opus, like this is like your your thing as it was happening? I mean, it looked like it was a grueling experience in so many ways. Talk about that. Yeah, it was. I never pictured it as, as such a thing, but I definitely knew it was. You know, during the process, I was kind of blinded by just doing doing it out of love, and I didn't want anything returned, and so I didn't have any romantic view of it. I just knew I wanted people to know the best person I've ever met. So mm. throughout the process, I started to realize that, you know, working as a freelancer on different shows and, and features, you, you see a lot of people, the level of care and the level of passion that goes into a commercial job or a narrative feature where you can tell that director needs to tell that story or it's a job. And so for me, realizing during that process that from a filmmaker standpoint, to have a story that is so within you, that is like volcanic er eruptive type love, there's not another story that would top this as in what I would do to tell the story. And so from a filmmaking perspective, not just as a brother, it's like, well, this is as good as it gets. I don't make documentaries. I'm, I'm a narrative filmmaker. That's at least where, what I'm pursuing, but documentary was the best vehicle to tell the story than just making some narrative thing that isn't con connected to any type of tissue. This is, hey, this is what it is. And so I didn't, again, have a, a specific staple of what this was or my magnum opus or the, the hardest thing I'll ever do. I just, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of never really looked down and never, never really looked back. So it was just a kind of an out-of-body experience. But all that to say, from a filmmaking standpoint, there's not many stories that are like this where, you know, I'm a character in the story. So I don't know, it's, it's uh, I still don't know quite how to articulate it other than simply I love Jordan and he loved me. And that's, that's what birthed the story. That's what, you know, made it happen with no budget or all of the, the peaks and valleys. That's what gets anything done in this world of any value, I think so. There's a really terrible answer to your question, but that's my answer. Hey, that was beautiful and raw, <laughs> just like the film, Justin. That's all we want, that's great. It is very beautiful and raw. What I thought was really amazing. So as Tony said, this was a really, really brave story to share. What I appreciated about it was that 
you touched on almost all the things that human beings really struggled with and you did it in such a transparent way. You really addressed injury, illness, mm. uh, disability, death, and grieving all within kind of a, a love story to your brother. Can you talk about, you know, you said it was about four years after he passed that you set out to create this film. So can you talk about that process in those four years? How were you feeling? What were you thinking? Were you always thinking, I want to do something to honor my brother, to share his life with the world? Because as you said, he's the greatest person I ever knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was pretty early on in my filmmaking dream when he died. So it was very brief. I went to play college basketball, like I shared in the documentary, but he died right before my senior year. And my love for basketball kind of left and filmmaking kind of, uh, I don't want to say replaced it, but kind of replenished that emptiness and what I am driven to do. And so I, I mean, YouTube had just barely come out in 2008, I think. So I was at home visiting my brother's grave and, and, and beating on that punching bag. That was, that was a weekly thing. So it was pretty much that and trying to teach myself how to write screenplays and studying YouTube and studying Vimeo to try to teach myself filmmaking. Because as you've seen in the documentary, I wasn't uh, privy to a lot of cinematic experiences in childhood. So I didn't have a, a palette for film. I didn't have a, oh, I know who Steven Spielberg's third movie is. It was just, how do I do this? I had never seen a script before. So it was kind of teaching myself about film. And then when I felt, you know, it was kind of in that DSLR era where everyone was trailblazing with 5Ds and 7Ds to where I, I, I had a camera. And I had a lot of Mike. And so that's when I, I took the journey to tell the story of, of Jordan. So I was really green, still, still learning. I will always be learning, but I was really green. It was just me, a lot of Mike and a, a little 5D. And that was what, you know, the whole time I, I mean, I knew the moment he died. I knew before he died, I was going to tell a story. But when he died, that obviously solidified a lot of things in my life. So the four years after just kind of, I think, just took the time for me to to gear up filmmaking wise, to be able to at least stick something to the wall. So. As a, uh, a person with a brother, I was definitely touched by that narrative here and just super jealous and amazed at all the home footage you all had, <laughs> like so much home footage. And I remember as a kid, like I had one of those big monster video cameras, no idea where all those VHS tapes are. But you had so much to pull from, which is why I'm sure it took eight years yeah. to make this film. And I love too, you are you are kind of championing the the values we have as brave makers. Go out and do it. Pave brave your own way. Don't wait for someone else to give you permission. You got a 5D, you got a cell phone. Tell the dang story. Yeah. But you also so so we want to talk filmmaking stuff. We also want to talk the heart of the story. And I'll pull in because we have people who are saying they're here. Uh, so hello to everybody who's jumping in. Uh, we have someone saying they love this film, inspiring, oh. heartfelt. Saying Shout hi from Palm, Palm Bay. Bay. I can say everyone from here watched it and loved it. That's beautiful. Uh, so we have a question that says, uh, because the, the story has, you know, there's a filmmaking technical story we want to talk about too, but we also want to talk about the healing journey. Stories can heal us, you know, story, telling our stories help us. So question, how, uh, question for Justin, what helped you get by after losing your brother? I lost mine and it was a struggle. <sighs> so I'm definitely not the spokesperson for, for uh, grief or, or losing a, a loved one, but for me, I know that in my experience, I learned pretty quickly that 
the world doesn't have a big vocabulary when it comes to death or words like grief. And so when, like most people, when you lose someone, whether it's at a funeral or, you know, the day it happens, people don't know what to say. And, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Sometimes the best thing is to not say much. But we have these phrases, just like when we say, good morning, how are you? And you say, good, how are you? It's kind of the same thing when it comes to death. So people say, I know how you feel. They say, I'm sorry for your loss. They say, well, hey, my grandma died. And, you know, or a lot of people have said, well, you still have two other brothers. Hmm. And most of those are, are, are very unhelpful. Or, or, or some people from the Christian audience say, you know, God is still on the throne. And whether their heart is good, a lot of the advice given post-death is not really helpful. So for me, realizing those things aren't helpful and realizing that a lot of people are just scared to talk about it. A lot of people, even in the interview process of this documentary, people that knew him, knew me, knew Jordan at his best, relationally, physically, athletically, and, and they were nervous to talk about him because, oh man, I don't want to upset you, me as the filmmaker. And I'm saying, bro, I just drove a thousand miles because I want to talk about him. And I know that everybody is not that way and that might not be the most helpful thing for people. But for me, I felt like I had, had journeyed the world with this sailor and we had conquered the world and no one knew who this guy was. And so anybody who met me was like, yo, just, and I said, no, you need to, you need to meet him if you want to meet me. So that's how much of a part he is of me. His story is my story and, and vice versa in some ways. So I wanted to talk about him. That's why I made the documentary. I know a lot of people, you know, they'll say, oh, on the anniversary of someone's death, they'll say, oh, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sure this day is tough. And, and for me, every day was tough. It wasn't just Christmas or his birthday or the day he died. It's it's an everyday thing. It's not a, I don't know, it's, 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 like, it's like I've learned most things in life. You learn how not to do it. And so for me, talking about Jordan and encouraging people to verbally support the champions of their life and the people who have made you who, who you are. I think it's a beautiful thing to give people credit for how they've helped you. And Jordan was the biggest credit to me. You know, if I didn't have Jordan as a brother, I would be probably a criminal, probably in jail or, you know, in the NBA and then go be in jail. I don't know. So Jordan was the perfect brother that kept my best at its best and my worst at its safest. And so I think my demeanor is different as in, you know, I've outlived him. I'm 30 years old. He died five days before his 21st. So I think a lot of the, the things that I've learned that about myself that are raw to encourage those are from Jordan. And then the things that I need to refine are also from Jordan. So for me, it was to talk about him. And obviously, you know, I'm not saying go make a documentary, but if you're a filmmaker, it's, it could be a five minute thing that might really help you. I didn't make this for the world. I made it for me and I hope the world enjoys it. And I hope that, a stranger can realize that they might have a Jordan in their life or they might say, I need to be a Jordan to, to adjust it in, in my own life. So it's, it's kind of case by case, but I've had people message me all over the world and just saying, thanks for being honest. Thanks for calling it like it is. And everybody's different, but I, I don't know. I'm still, you know, figuring it out. We'll always be figuring it out. But Jordan was such a big part of my life that it would be a shame not to speak about him and not to, you know, awards are given out to a lot of people that don't really deserve awards. And there's a lot of awards that aren't given to the people that deserve them. And Jordan deserved them, deserved it. So whether it's a physical trophy or my eternal love, and it wasn't a thing where when he died, I was like, oh, wow, I really loved him. He was perfect. We told each other we loved each other when we went to bed. Hey, love you, man. So it was not, there was no change. It was just, I was alone and he wasn't here. So all that to say, I'm still figuring it out, but playing basketball helps. And 
you know, it's helped me be a, a deeper empathetic person with the experience of Jordan. So, Justin, so you are able to speak so comfortably and eloquently about death, about grieving, something that most people, like you said, are not able to do, even for myself. I lost my brother last year, and it's something mm. you try to talk about something that difficult. Like, I, I, I feel my throat closing up. Like, I, it's hard to find the words. What do you think makes you uniquely qualified to do this so well? What do you think in your own personal life, your journey has created someone like you that's able to share this story with everyone? Mm. Oh, man. I think partly is the way that I'm wired is I don't really care what a lot of people think. And so that can be dangerous, but it can also be extremely helpful, mostly a superpower. And so for me, I'm not afraid to say what it is, but I'm also not not the one in the room saying, I know everything about everything I'm going, this is what it is. I can say that that's a blue wall. You might want to say it's green because you don't want to call it blue, but I know it's blue. You know it's blue. And so I can say it's blue and it doesn't hurt my feelings and it shouldn't hurt yours because it's the truth. And so whether that's saying something very positive or very honest that most people would think is negative. And I think as a filmmaker, as a, as a human being, I want to be articulate. And so being articulate with myself and, and my feelings and my thoughts, whether it's about death or what I want to eat for lunch, I think being a, an honest person is a good place to start because if you can count on yourself to be honest in, in, in light of what the world is going to offer. And I'm not saying like, you know, it's not, a, it's a problem that you can't quite vocalize what you might feel at this moment within a year of your brother's passing. Like one thing I still struggle with and, and was probably one of the weirdest quirks of Jordan's death was any friend that I had or, or a new person I met named Jordan by first name I had a hard time saying that name. I just, you know, whether it was, hey, dude, or let's say their last name, because some people go by their last name. And there was one guy in particular that was in that category. And I just, for some reason, I had a hard time saying, like, hey, Jordan. And it wasn't them. It wasn't obviously their fault. But I, I don't know, maybe I had used that name a million times. So that's something that was like a weird side effect of that. And people say, are you going to name your kid one day? Whenever you have a kid, are they going to name him Jordan? You're like, I don't think so. But uh, so that's that's something that's like I would say like a side effect, but I think one of the biggest things we can do as filmmakers, whether it's telling a story or or in an interview, is be honest, and that's one of the few things that I I think I can do. There's a lot I can't, but I I like you talking about needing to do it regardless of what people say. And as you were saying that, I was just showing the images of the documentary where you literally are beating each other up so much <laughs> and enjoying it. And I just kind of like chuckled to myself that I think you all gave each other pretty thick skin growing up oh, with yeah. just the, the the numerous punches to the face, to the head, to the stomach. Really, I mean, beautiful, beautiful footage of you all growing up. And I know you talk a little bit in the film about this of a Christian bubble in some way that you grew up in, you know, mm -hmm. couldn't watch any PG, uh, PG films or sort of like the rated R films in your family, which actually it's funny that those limitations seem to push your creativity and you started to create from that, which I, which I love. Um, and I have a question on that, but I'm going to bring in some comments because people are just talking about how powerful and brave and moving the film is. Thank you for letting us get to know your brother, Jordan. Uh, Sherry says the most touching documentary I've ever seen. Melly Sue says, thank you for this amazing documentary. I found it accidentally about an hour after you uploaded it. Mm. So you were one of the first Melly Sue. Now there's like 7 million views. How great is that? <laughs> a, beautiful, go, a beautiful memory and tribute. And Kate, 
Uh, yeah, true. Our culture does not have a meaningful vocabulary for death, grief, and not for disability or terminal illness. And I just think mm -hmm. that that's a really poignant thing that you did here. And there were moments of levity. There were moments where I, I laughed and moments where I choked back some some tears. Priscilla mm -hmm. says, I love the way Justin talks about his brother. My brother passed almost three months ago. And mm -hmm. I talk about him every day and think about him every day. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Can you, so can you talk about that as you look back at all this footage today um, and you think about the development, like you you said you were just on the, the threshold of your filmmaking journey and this thrust you into that space. Mm -hmm. Do you? How do you reflect back today about that journey when it comes to putting all of this stuff together? Um, you know, what's like the future look like for you as you do you feel like docu documentary is going to be a thing for you because narrative was something you were doing before but yeah what's the like looking back in the past how do you think this is going to push you forward into the future with your storytelling uh, well if steph curry retires one day and needs a documentary i'll definitely get on that documentary horse but my heart is in the narrative world but i'm not opposed or or have disdain or hate for documentaries but I'm grateful for the experience because I was sharing this with someone recently. Like, you know, you think back to specifically high school. I'm sure everybody has like those those dumb high school regrets of where you did something stupid or hung out with somebody or dated somebody. They're like, man, that, that, would, that did not work out. And few times, I think, do we look back in an honest and sincere way and see a decision that you made for the betterment of your life or for someone else's and go, good job prior you because rarely do we you know the bad decisions normally shape us better than the good ones most times the way we perceive culture and i had a realization a few months ago because making this documentary i said no to like everything in my life i dieted from writing screenplays which is which is like asking me not to breathe in some ways so looking back at the it's like someone who who got overweight and then went on this extreme diet and and had the fortitude to like withstand the temptation or whatever and then go I did it I, I did it I knew I'm capable of it I never thought I was capable but I knew it it's kind of looking back and going like, good job in some ways because I think rarely we congratulate ourselves. and also I'm I'm not the type of person that needs a lot of pat on the backs and so like if Jordan told me one thing that could that could take me two years you know I know some people might need a little bit more a little bit less so in some ways I can look back and go man like I lived in Dallas for almost two years at the time where I was really into editing. And often people would go, how's Dallas? What's your favorite restaurant? And I would go, I don't know. Cause I haven't left my terrible apartment. I would go to work and come home and that was the life. And that's what it took. And that's not to say, good job me. That's to go, that's just what it takes. So I meet so many young writers or filmmakers that say what's how, you know, they basically want the recipe and I go, you just have to cook, man. It's, it's freehand. You got to figure it out. You got to try butter. You got to try salt. You got to try something else. It's going to take you to find that nice flavor of what you can make. I might make something different. So I think not being afraid of the work is, is a pro that I've taken with me to go. Like sometimes you got to crawl over the finish line uh, with all the pain in the world. And that's kind of what this project was, but I would do it again for Jordan. He was worth every thing I said no to. I said no to money. I said no to jobs. I said no to my marriage at the time. I prolonged our almost engagement because I knew I had this was my time to do it. And so my wife now, girlfriend at the time, graciously took weekends of visiting to sort through 1,200 pages of medical documents for my brother and for me because she knew it was important. And so 
the sacrifice, I look back and I'm grateful for that. So I think teaching me in a, in a writing sense of whether it's a novel show or screenplay to go, it takes time and you gotta be willing to put in the work. Cause I, I can look at a blank page or at a script or an idea and, and go, I'm gonna be standing last before somebody gives up. And I think the doc was a great training ground for the rest of my life in the creative world. So I'm really grateful for the footage that my mom and my dad shot on that VHS camera. And I, we, we would watch those clips so much that my memories are kind of ingrained with what we shot. So like when we would do it and then we'd go and watch it and then my memory of boxing would be that one time where Jordan threw me down. So years later when I was digitizing all the footage, I was kind of like double checking that my memory was correct and thankfully it was. So I know a lot of people don't have a lot of footage like that. So I'm, I'm really grateful to have that. And sadly, I, you know, iPhones weren't out yet. So I don't have one single quote HD clip mm -hmm. of my brother, but you know, I'm grateful for all that SD glory that we had a lot of glory this whole project man what a testimony what a story for his honor pretty beautiful i love the way you express that that you just have to cook uh for filmmakers you know trying to understand how do you bring a project to life you just have to cook and i really feel like you also kind of gave us the recipe on how to cook quote unquote how to grieve with the documentary, without, you know, just saying that, but just being able to watch you go through the process and not speaking to you now, it's like, okay, that's that's how you really honor someone that you love and cherish. That's how you remember them. That's how you share them with the world. Mm -hmm. And there was a tremendous amount of footage and it took you years. But like you said, there's no shortcut. There's no easy way to do it. You just got to get in there and start cooking. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Shout out to all the cooks out there non-metaphor wise <laughs> <laughs> well i want to also talk about the cooking process because you again going back to the thick skinness of it you talk a lot about kind of facing the fears crawling over the finish line i was watching some stuff this morning doing my research on justin robinson by the way if you're just joining us uh, i'm tony gapistone and i'm with my co-host christina jackson and we're talking to filmmaker justin robinson about his documentary, My Brother Jordan. And if you do some researching on his Instagram page and social media and all that kind of stuff, you'll see that there's this great video where he talks to the haters. And you basically go through and start reading some YouTube comments. And you start talking to the camera about your responses to these YouTube comments. And at one point, you talk about going and creating a Reddit account just to just to respond to one of your your haters who was talking about stuff on Reddit. I, I loved it. it. Gave me some some chuckles. But I'd love you to just talk a little bit more about the creative process and being an artist and how we have to deal with rejection. Like not everyone's going to like our work. Not everyone's going to care for our storytelling. And it seems like you have decided to, you know, not only like ignore it or not care about it, but sometimes playfully respond to it. How, how did that come to be? Talk about that whole process for you a little bit. Man, yeah, YouTube is a is a funny place. It's <laughs> it's much like the world. So, as growing up playing basketball, I mean, it's it's a like any sport, confidence will serve you well. I don't, you know, unless it's it's cockiness, something something worse. And I grew up really short. I didn't grow till like senior in high school and college. So I was really really short, and I was playing varsity basketball in sixth grade. And you can't play varsity basketball in the sixth grade when the jerseys, you know, like a, like a crop top and falling over your shoulder, like a spaghetti strap. 
without being confident. And so for, you know, just who I was and, and I thought I deserved to be on the court, just like that senior did, even though I was, you know, four foot two and 60 pounds. So I think a lot of my filmmaking confidence comes from that. Cause I know I put in the work, but also, you know, and this is not a political statement, but YouTube and the internet is a free, free, free country for people to post whatever they want, whether they would ever say that to your face or whether they're, you know, some other filmmaker that is jealous of you and wants to take a stab at you or go dislike your video. So uploading videos since the dawn of YouTube has been a long time. I have a career of that at this point. So for whatever reason, uh, I think part of the reason I don't need a lot of encouragement, like sustenance, I know a lot of people search for that. The same way I didn't make the documentary for the world, it would have been a different thing if I had tried to make what people might want because whether it's this or that, it, even if I did what I thought people wanted, it wouldn't be enough or it would be too much. So that's too hard to to battle and I'm not a salesman. It is what it is and you can like it or you don't have to and I'm not offended either way. So YouTube is a place where I've, I've, I've seen a little bit of that and a little bit of this and I have a few friends, Olin Rogers, who's been on YouTube for since its beginning and he's, you know, tons of videos, millions of views and stuff like that and, and comments all over the, the gambit from super kind and empathetic to like visceral, you know, you get knocked out if you said that to someone's face. So. I, I saw it affect people like him and I worked for a YouTube channel called Film Riot and I still work with them and, and they get the gambit of comment, comments too. And so you see and you read things like when I first started working there a couple of years ago, there was a comment from like a 14 year old kid that told my boss, Ryan, another brilliant filmmaker, that uh, he should fire me, that I didn't fit in with the Film Riot family. And then a few other people commented back saying, no, you're wrong. It was just very fascinating comment where someone would tell someone to get fired. And so with releasing the documentary, I've seen the gambit as well. Mainly the demographic of commenters have been female. So take this for what it is. A lot of the females were a lot kinder, but there's still, you know, whether it's male or female, a lot of the, the mean comments make it in. So for me, one of the early comments and why I made that video is to touch and, and kind of shed the light on what we do deal with when people, you know, heartless or not, or have a hard life, or they're that bully that actually has so many internal problems that you just need to stay up, stop and say, hey man, just tell me what's going on. It doesn't hurt my feelings that you don't want to watch the documentary. You say it's boring or you say, whoa, cry me a river, you man bun, whatever. Like, hey, bro, it doesn't bother me, man. Like, you have your hair, I have mine. You know, if I had a mustache, you'd have a problem with that. If I shaved my face, you'd have a problem with that. So for me, someone said, like, wham, 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 you're lining your pockets. And I laugh because I'm, I'm you know. I, I didn't make a dime and I spent all of my own money, my own time. And so it was just like, I can't not laugh. You know, I feel for people when you, when you can feel a genuine sense of like, they're not doing well in life. But I know a lot of people take to heart comments and comments are just so fleeting and they can be just as evil or just as kind. And I think keeping a balanced view of, well, Hey, I really appreciate that. That's awesome. But not getting too high and too low. And so, and I'm and two. I made a World War II film my freshman year of college that was awful. Did my best. It was it was not bad for a freshman at the time, but it it kind of blew up on YouTube. It's it's now private, but I had like a million views. And man, some of those comments. And one of them was my favorite comment ever. Someone said, "It looks like the budget was half a sandwich." <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, I'm like, bro, that's the best comment I've ever gotten because I know what it is. I gave it my best shot. You weren't making a film, you know, this type of film your freshman year, but that's funny to me. So it's like, it's fair game, man. It's fair game. And I can't, I control what I can control. And so if I got too low or too high, I'd, I'd be, 
in not in good shape. So I try to take it with a grain of salt and wish you well and let you know my heart's pure. I made it out of a pure heart and you can judge otherwise. But yeah, YouTube is like the world. You got to be careful, you know, and love it back no matter what. But it's hard sometimes. Haters going to hate. Fabrizio says... I love go. I love that. I love that you can you can laugh at something like the half a sandwich thing. And you know, I've heard different filmmakers keep a folder or a digital file of their rejections or whatever. Yeah. I've started to screenshot some of my rejections and just ridiculous comments. And yeah. now I'm I'm writing a script and I'm gonna I'm actually word for word gonna put some of those things into my script from different characters. I'm going to benefit. I don't know if I'm going to profit, but I will benefit yeah. <laughs> from the story that I want to tell. Uh, so just because we need to talk about the business side, can you chat a little bit about that? And, you know, in your hater response, you were like laughing about not making any money. So you did this whole film because you needed to, you did yeah. it for you. You said, and I love that, but did this project you into some work? Um, talk about how you, you work for film, where you work for film riot, how do you make a living as a filmmaker? And what would you talk to uh, us and our listeners and viewers about how to make it in this, in this industry? That is a great question. I can't say I'm the best ambassador for that because I have not made a living at this point, but I do work full time in film. And so my goal is to write and direct and to write also for other directors. But uh, yeah, the documentary was just out of pocket. My oldest brother contributed a, 500 gig hard drive, which was really helpful at the time. But yeah, I had no, I don't have a rich uncle or anybody to, to reach out. And so I just made it and I knew it was going to take what it took. And the people that ended up helping down the line mostly worked for free. So it was obviously super helpful because they knew what it was. And I was honest with them. I think that's the big thing as a filmmaker, just being honest. Hey, I can do this or I can't. I'm not going to, you know, say, can you work on this and then not. So I haven't had any, you know, major people reach out and say, oh, wow, we want to pay you to do your life's work. But initially when I started the documentary, all I wanted to do was travel to the places we lived and, sh and screen it at a theater. And that was the only goal. People said, are you going to do film festivals? And I didn't really think at the time early on going, do you do film festivals about your dead brother? Is that weird? Does that feel manipulative? Is that, you know, and over the years, I, I didn't really think of what I want to do. I just tried to make it. And then once I got close to the finish line, I thought I still want to go and screen it everywhere. And then I finished it January of this year. And of course, COVID changed the world. And so even screening it for friends became impossible. So then I, I, I finished it and then reached out to every colleague I knew with connections to Netflix or anything said, is this a possibility for all I want is for people, as many people to see it as possible. And nothing really led to anything. There was a couple conversations that might have gone to like a smaller streaming service, but I'm not a salesman or a business person. I need to be better in that way to one day make a living as a filmmaker. But it, it only led to conversations saying, well, you know, maybe you can cut this. And it's not universal enough. And it's, it's probably three minutes too long and it need, or it needs to be 70 minutes and all these different opinions. So then I finally knew in, in, inside to go, I'm going to release it on my own YouTube channel and my own Vimeo page because that's the most Justin Robinson thing I could do is make it release it for free because often when you when you buy a movie or rent a movie on demand or on iTunes, that price that you see often causes a pause. Is this really worth $3.99? And maybe that's not everybody, but so I knew that doing it on demand on Vimeo for two bucks wasn't gonna make a financial dent into my life and that wasn't the intent. So I thought I wanna make it as accessible as possible. There's no ads on my YouTube, there's no ads on Vimeo, you, you won't be paused, there's no commercial. All you got to do is click, click play. 
And somebody pointed out recently, they said, well, hey, that's really beautiful because it was free to be your brother. And so it was free to share him. And, and that is really beautiful. So that was kind of the intent was to, to not be, there's no, I'm not hiding behind anything, making money or someone wondering like, are you, how much money are you making? So when I was making zero, that kind of cleared the air, even if it was nobody's business. So that was the intent, but yeah. So I usually work in a camera department. I freelance work in a camera department. I came up as a second AC at first AC that I operate sometimes. I, I grip on small stuff. I've calfed really small stuff. I've PA, I've AD, kind of a Swiss army knife in a good way and in a bad way, but I, I'm really trying to figure out how to make a living and, and really specify in writing. So I'm, I'm getting closer, but I can't say I'm making a living yet. I'm paying rent, but you know, you said your, your forte really wasn't in the business end of it, that this was really a passion project. What do you wish if you could time travel back and say, Justin, you need to know this before jumping into this project, what would it be? What would you tell yourself? Hmm. Business-wise? Any any part of the project that you wish, oh, if I'd only known that before going in. Oh, I would have taken out a loan to buy a nice boom mic because I was... <laughs> I was borrowing lav mics. So for like the two months I would be filming intensely interviews, I would have borrowed a, a lav mic from some video guy in town. And then the next year when I was doing, I would borrow it from a college friend. And so plugging straight into a DSLR is not a good idea. And so my, my post sound mixer had a tough time with cleaning up a lot of audio. So I probably would have, I initially, I, I finally did buy myself a nicer lav mic, but just doing so many interviews and it's such, I would have invested in better audio but uh, that's yeah. a great, that's a great tip, right? I mean, filmmaking, uh, I love hearing what would people do different, but yeah, when you think about your, your story, you know, the sound is super important, you know, microphones and having someone who owns that. If you watch the documentary, you can see Justin did a lot of uh, the whole project from the filming to the editing, to the producing, you had, you know, a good number of people who, ran camera for you it looks like mm -hmm. and a ton of people i mean i was watching the credits going oh my gosh all the people you couldn't include the cuts the interview cuts i mean it does take a village to make something and again i know a lot of people out there who are watching you are filmmakers and you want to be making things and if you had to do like the bare bone minimum like you always want to make sure you have, you know, a, someone who knows how to run that camera and someone who knows how to do sound. Like those are two big things. So if you're going to spend any money, that's a great tip. Get mm -hmm. a good sound recorder and someone who on the post-production side can mix it all up for you. That's great. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Anything, any other filmmaking tips, things you want to share to people who are kind of waiting, you know, brave, braving their own way into the industry? What would you tell them to do like that you wish maybe mm -hmm. you would have done? I mean, don't wait. I, I mean, unless you have some major connections. I know this year is different, so it's not as quote, quote safe to go out and get it. But naturally, COVID aside, I think a lot of people just wait. Are they wait to be told, okay, now it's the time? Or they wait to get the money? Are they wait to? I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not the most impatient person, but the, you know the phrase "the cavalry is a coming" is kind of the real thing. So if some, if the if the enemy comes up, a bad war metaphor, it's just you, and. And uh, I'm willing to, to fight that battle. So that's kind of been my career. Everything I've ever made, if you look back, it's like, you know, the first short I made when I was just writing and directing and I wasn't shooting it and acting, I sold most of my gear. I sold a, a Canon L-Series 16-35 to lens for, 
you know, a thousand bucks to pay for half of the budget. So it was like, everybody works for free. We pay for gas, lodging and food, but I don't have the budget and no one's going to give me the budget. So I'll sell, you know, I've thought about donating plasma. I've thought about, you know, everything. So I think for me, just not waiting in a, in a healthy mindset, I, because for one, the brevity of life is very real. I've outlived my brother. And so if you're like, well, I want to make movies and you're waiting to go to film school and get out and get a job and life, life does not stop and it gets fast. And it's, you know, six months can go like a week. So don't wait to write your screenplay. Maybe, you know, you just have to diet from things. And maybe that's not the best word because diet might be a taboo word that no one likes, but diet from things. You got to manage your time. And I think time management has been something that I've been able to learn and I'm still learning to where to make this happen. I need to prioritize my time. This is writing time. I don't, my phone's not on. This is what it is. So that I can come out on the other side, a writer. I have words on the page. I'm not just going, I want to be a writer. And then I have blank pages. There's 300 pages right there. It's done. Whether it's good, not sure yet. It's done. So I think that's a good step is not waiting. You know, so it's, I don't know, man. Unless unless you have some amazing uh, financiers behind you, do your thing. But I think most of us don't. Like I, I met a director in Hollywood recently through Vimeo and he's a really talented. He's done three features, amazing stuff, stuff that I really admire, but he's one of those filmmakers in the 95% of Hollywood that you probably don't know. He's not the Tarantino, the Nolan, the David Fincher, the, you know, whoever. And he's this really talented guy that's 40 years old, making films, writing and directing them. And it's just one of those things to go. You know, I know a lot of people want to want to have fame and, or a big social media following. And I think that's probably a wrong viewpoint if that's where you start. But this guy in particular was really encouraging to see a guy who was just living life and, and making enough money to live, but he was just doing it. And it, his movies have some legit actors and they're actually amazing films, but they're not blockbusters, tentpole movies that you might know off the top of your head. So that's the 95%. And I think people think they're going to end up in the 5% or the 2%. And you got to go, are you willing to be in that 95, 98 of you know and that's a good question so love it go after it if you're interested in getting some something on the page brave maker does have a screenwriting class so i would be remiss to not not share it now so if you're listening on our podcast or watching on the replay or even watching live you can click right now and go to our website our next uh class starts in november it's four Wednesdays in a row, 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we get you from idea to script in one month. So go check it out at bravemaker.com slash classes. Justin, this has been really great. We really love talking to you and really love your film. We posted the link for his film in the comments. So if you're watching live or on the replay, you can go check it out or go follow Justin. Justin, where can people find you on the interwebs? Twitter, Instagram, Vimeo, Facebook on most. I even got a TikTok because one thing I, <laughs> I uh, didn't know, but it, the documentary went went viral somewhat on TikTok. So people were sending me to that website and I didn't have a account. So I'm on there, even though I don't really use it. But yeah, you can find me most places. Right on. Fantastic. Christina, any final thoughts you want to share before we yeah. jam out of here? I got a, a final question for Justin. So you said during... Uh, the grieving process, you heard a lot of really unhelpful things, and I've definitely been there. What was yeah. something, do you recall, that someone said for you to you that was actually helpful, that was healing? Mm. I think just saying the truth is just, hey, man, I love you. Because when someone dies, it's out of everyone's control. Often when deaths are 
accidental and surprising. Jordan had been dying for months. I mean, he was dying. Cancer just ate him up. So it wasn't a surprise. And I know a lot of people have a surprise death that's different. So for me, just people speaking truth, saying I love you. But in the sense of I can't, I, you know, I'm here for you. But there was no magic word that was going to make your life instantly better or everything okay. And so that's one thing that's within your control is to let them know that I don't love you less. I don't necessarily love you more, but you know I love you and I'm going to say it. And, and that was something that, that benefited me. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of the bad things that were said are, are, are ammunition for scripts for years to come. And same thing with my childhood. It's I'm a sponge, just like you were talking about taking haters' comments and turning into the script. That's definitely how I am. So anything good or bad is valuable to me. Even someone I heard in a Zoom call today talked about the neighbor and he was so specific in his dialogue that she, they, he said the ambulance just came and took my neighbor and everyone's like, Oh, is she okay? And he goes, Oh, it was a heart attack or a stroke. I'm expecting a call anytime. Mm-hmm. And it was like so profound and so quick to the heart of the sentence. I was like, well, I wouldn't have written, I wouldn't have said that. And so I, I'm a pretty keen listener to dialogue in life. And so whether it's someone saying something rude or, or hurtful about your sibling's death, for me, I have to take it all in because it's valuable and it's real and it affected me for better or worse. So just saying they love me was probably the most helpful thing. Right on. Thank you for sharing that, Justin. I, yeah. I too have like every human being experienced loss and I often find uh, sometimes the best thing someone says to me isn't what they say. It's just what they do. Like they're there for me. Like, don't, please don't try to fix my problem. Please don't. And I am a person of faith too. And if you watch the documentary that Justin did, you see that's part of his family. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about that, but which we do have a little bit of time. So I, maybe we should dabble with that a little bit because uh, I like to poke at the faith community because I appreciate it. I grew up in it. And at the same time, I often want to, I want to see it change because we're not always the best representations of love and hope and compassion. Sometimes we try to fix everything with these little trite little sayings that we see on plaques in our grandma's bathroom. And uh, sometimes I just need people not to say anything. Like just, just sit with me. Just let me cry. Let me figure it out. Let me shake my fist. Uh, do you have any comments about that, about the faith community element to dealing with illness and death? Hmm. Man, it's that's a, deep a one. podcast. Yep. Yeah. Growing up as a PK, Southern Baptist specifically, I mean, I was a sponge as a young kid and you could smell when things were good or untruthful. And that's, that's a hard kid to have. I was a hard kid to have, a hard brother to have, a hard friend to have because I was a, a sleuth and I probably would have made for a good cop or a detective. But speaking of the documentary, a few months ago, I got a message from a, a Christian film person who love the documentary except the ending they absolutely hated it and it's their prerogative to do so because they wasn't as hopeful as they wanted and for me the mindset of like even if i had jesus christ himself cameo in my documentary it wouldn't be good enough Mm. and growing up in the christian world everyone who knew me or saw me as a pk and didn't know a thing about me would go i can't wait for you to make christian films and it's not who i am and that's not the type of films i make and often wouldn't even associate many christian films with being like a film in some ways so Man, that's loaded. That's loaded. Mm-hmm. I have a lot, but uh, I'm working through those things. So it was, it was an interesting perspective to get that target audience of, of really, really despising the, for me, honesty of it. 
And so that was an interesting perspective to go, hey, thanks for sharing. And, and then people that even reached so far to say, Jordan, your dead brother, who I've never met, would not be okay with the ending of this film. And that's where I go, you can think whatever you want, but speaking for dead people is not something I think anybody should do. Even for me, I know Jordan better than anybody, but I'm not going to say exactly, oh, what would Jordan say? He's not here. I know generally, sure, yeah, he would enjoy being here, but I'm not in the in the business of trying to articulate someone who's not here. And so that was an inter interesting perspective to get the thought of it's not hopeful enough, but then also to have a skewed perspective of like, and you shouldn't say that. And again, it, it didn't affect me like, other people, you know, it would piss people off, I'm sure. But for me, I knew it wasn't from a place of spite. It's it's often ignorance or, you know, a lack of empathy or a lack of understanding of actually how the world works outside of the church because people who live in that bubble, it's not the whole world. It's this big and the world is this big. So if you live this big, you don't know how the whole world works. And growing up, I saw a lot of that. And so I have four feature scripts right now that take place in the backdrop of a Southern religious realm because i think some of the most cinematic things i've ever seen are in the doors of a very you know poorly covered wall and a potluck sunday and the conversations that had for example like growing up and you go to a potluck which is just everyone brings a dish and they put it on a table and so after sunday church everyone shares a meal whether you know that food is poisoned or not you walk down and then you find three green green bean casseroles and you wonder why one of them is untouched but the other two are almost empty and you realize, oh, Miss Jenkins made that. Miss Jenkins can't make, you know, a cup of water. And so just the, 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 the comedy in that of watching these old women watch you choose their food or not choose their food or the things that I'm attracted to, to go, that was very real for them. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about this big thing. They were people being people in under the church and, you know, whether it's the cliche arguments of the carpet, I just saw so many things like that where you realize that, not many people are actually centered on what they're talking about. And so cinematically and writing wise, it was a very interesting place to grow up in and the dichotomy of a lot of things. And then the purity of some things, you know, that lady, her heart is right, but she should not be singing. That's just the reality. And so, <laughs> you know, like, that's right. It's, it is what it is. And God and bless her heart. God yeah. bless that heart. That voice is Man. something, but bless her. Heart. If that cat that could sing had her heart, Ooh, but she has a she's she has a great heart. So uh, a lot of those screenplay things have come up because of just the ingrained childhood I had. So I am grateful for it, the good and the bad, to where I'm able to That's use right. it and 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 speak into those things to go. This is what it is. This is word for word what somebody said, or someone who was you know high up in that church said this really racist thing, but they say, oh, it's not racist, and you're like, Phew, okay. So how can you say this and then claim this? That's dangerous. That's a dangerous game. So I was the type of kid that would look up at an adult and say, "That's a, you just lied," which is a is a thing that you know most adults wouldn't want. So I just knew I could smell it. And so now, as a as a thirty year old, I'm I'm still smelling it and trying to to write about it in in a, in a way that's yeah my superpower. So smelling the BS, whether they it. know it or not. <laughs> Well, Justin, we super appreciate your authenticity and transparency. It's something we we value with Brave Maker, and we'd love to stay connected. So when the next project comes out, I'm going to email you separately too. I have some okay. some thoughts and some uh, other stuff I'd love to connect with you about. But yeah, thank you for sharing. Uh, consider yourself a part of the Brave Maker family. So however we can promote your future work and 
Uh, a lot of people are chiming in the comments, you know, appreciating your work. And so if you are watching now, please go and follow Justin on all of his things, J-Rob Productions. Uh, share my brother Jordan on your personal social media. Get more people to watch this. This is a, you know, and do your own little commentary about it. Why was it meaningful to you to watch it? How did it inspire you? How did you connect? Uh, what does it do for you in your own personal story of grief and healing? I think this is other. This is the way we share the stories and share the stories forward, so other people can be touched by it. All right, Al. Anything else you want to say, Justin? Before uh, we click out. No, thanks for inviting me, and thanks for for being kind and engaged and and you know true. Sorry, there's a fly. It's like a Mike Pence thing. Uh -oh. There's a fly around <laughs> right. But Christina too, I appreciate you sharing, and, and I'm sorry about your brother. And, you have a lot of brightness in your face, so that'll serve you well. It comes from inside, so I love you, and I'm really sorry. But, yeah, I just appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me, and, and I hope what was articulate was and what wasn't, uh, you'll forget. So, anyways, much love to y'all, and thanks for having me. All good. Yeah, much love yeah. to you, Justin. Christina, any last words? It's Indigenous People Day. What do you want to say before we sign off? I love you both. I'll continue to work towards liberty and justice for all. Keep your head up. Um, we can do this together. Love wins. And Tony? Brave stories change the world. And you are the story. You are the story. Please join us on Friday, this coming Friday, for our next live chat with uh, Emmy Award-winning producer Lisa L. Wilson. It's at 3 p.m. Pacific time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Lisa is one of the producers of The Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith and her family. Mm -hmm. And as always... We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so we really appreciate all of your uh, donations and support. We can't do this work without you. So if you go to our website, bravemaker.com, you can click on the donate button and you get five bucks, 25 bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever you want to give us, whatever's in your pocket today. Uh, we appreciate you because we want to keep doing this work and go and make sure you're following our and subscribing to our YouTube page, Brave Maker Org, and make sure you're following on all of our social media because every week Christina and I, every single week Christina and I are hoping are hosting these conversations with people and we want you to be a part. So take a look uh, as we close out today. We have a screenwriting class coming up. As I told you, we have some merchandise. Check it out. I know the the date it says October, but go to our website, bravemaker.com slash classes to sign up for the uh, November one. And we'll see you soon, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend. BraveMaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Brave stories change the world. You are the story.